This morning we're starting a new series, and it's topical. So normally we, we're working through the book, a book of the Bible. We've been through working through the book of John, but because we're talking about a topic, we don't do this often, but we do occasionally, we're going to be looking at lots of different texts. I'm just going to read two of those texts, two of the most foundational for what we're talking about today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25, and then we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 2 and read verses 8 and 9. If you've got your Bible with you, it'll help if you open it up. You can, you can see the text on the screen, but you'll also be able to follow along the rest of the sermon to see that this is not something I'm making up. This is what God says in his word for yourself. Let's start with Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the text we just read. Thank you that you are the gift giver in the gospel. You are the one who does all that needs to be done to save us. So would you help us to love that this morning? Please, help us love it. Help us delight in you that though we are under the condemnation of death, justly in your kindness, you redeem your people through Jesus. Help us love it this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a three-week series on our tagline as a church, the gospel in community for all nations. It's up here behind me on these banners, the gospel in community for all nations. That's what we're going to do one at a time. We're going to talk about the gospel. That's this week. The gospel is, means good news. It's the message, the message that if you believe it, you'll be saved. That's the gospel. Good news. Now, when you believe the gospel, you know what God does for you? Besides wiping away your sins, he puts you with other Christians. He wants you to live life with other Christians, to build each other up, to grow in maturity. And he does that in the context of churches, local churches like this one. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. And then after that, week three, 
We're going to talk about the fact that this message is for all the nations, all ethnicities across the globe. Jesus Christ wants us to take this message of how people can be saved and restored to a right relationship with him to all the peoples of the earth. That's what we're going to do the next three weeks. This is Gospel Week. Now, gospel means good news. That's what it means. So you, may, you may have heard the word gospel a lot. We say gospel a lot. It, it means good news. That's what the word means. This sermon is about the news, the truth that will save your soul forever. So I know there are different kinds of people in this room. So I have different hopes for different kinds of people in this room. For those of you who are not Christians, you're here, you want to listen, or somebody dragged you here, but you know you're not a Christian. I have a hope for you in this sermon. I hope that you will see and understand the core of what Christians believe. So you can be around Christians, it can be kind of confusing. Okay, what are these people about? I want you to leave here understanding the core, the very heart of what it is that Christians believe. And my hope, my prayer for you is that you'll see it's for you and it's life and freedom. Now, there are also people in this room who think they're Christians for a variety of reasons. I'm a Christian, I guess, because what else would I be? I'm a Christian. I hope that you hear this morning the true message of the gospel and that you're able to say, oh, wait, that doesn't actually line up with what I believe. I hope you'll hear it. I hope you'll hear it and embrace it. And for those of you who've been Christians for a long time, and I know that they're in a room like this, there are people who have been trusting Jesus for a long time because you believe this message. And my, my prayer for you is that as you hear it again, you'll just enjoy how good God is to us in saving us. That's my hope, that you'll enjoy Jesus more this morning. So here's, what, here's how we're going to work through this. We're, we're going to start, we're going to ask two questions, okay? Why do we need good news? This message is called gospel good news. And you should ask, why do we need good news? So that's question one, and we'll answer it. Then we're going to ask the question, how can we be saved? And we're going to answer it. And then, near the end, we're going to list six common wrong beliefs that people have about how they can be saved. Okay, Because everybody's got an idea. Everybody on the planet has an idea about how they can be saved. Everybody. And we're not going to list all of them. I mean, we could spend all week here. We're just going to list six common ones to close. Okay, let's start by asking the question, why do we need good news? You say, I need it? Why? Let's go back to the very beginning. In the beginning, there was God. Just God. And he was good, and he was happy. He's an infinite God. We're not talking about Zeus. Anybody familiar with Greek mythology? Zeus is a person who's old and really powerful and lives in the sky. That's not the true God. 
because it's far too small and not nearly happy enough. The true God is infinite. He is unlimited in knowledge, in love, and in power. He's not just a force. Some people think of God that way. He's just this powerful force that bounces around the universe. He's personal. He's a person. Persons. Three of them. He's pure, almighty, happy. He is life and love unbounded. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoying one another, another, with an explosive energy that all of the explosions of all the stars in the universe are just whispers. That's why he put the stars there. And overflowing out of their life and wisdom, God made all things. Things that we can see and things we cannot see. And when he made it, it was good. It was a reflection of his goodness and his worth. That's what it means for something to be good in relation to God is that it is rightly reflecting how worthy and great and awesome he is. That's, if, you, if you were able to see the creation in the beginning, that's what you would have seen. This reflects perfectly. It's not telling any lies about who God is. And God made us humans. He made us to know him and live with him. He created us to share in the measureless life that he has. He made humans in his image, which means he created us to reflect him in a way that he did not create anything else. He made you to enjoy him and know him in a way that not even the most powerful angels in the universe are blessed with. Because you're in his image, the image of almighty, eternal God. And what it means to be made in his image is that he has appointed us, people, image bearers, to image him, to reflect what he's like in the creation, to represent him, to listen to what he says, obey him, to rest in his care for us. That's what God has called us as his image bearers to do. But we wouldn't. We wouldn't do it. Our first parents wouldn't do it, Adam and Eve, and we don't do it today. Romans 1.21 is summarizing our problem. If you read through the book of Romans, Paul starts with our problem, and he says, we would not honor God. We refuse to honor him or give him thanks. And what we lost as a result is unspeakable. Think about your life. Reflect on yourself for a minute. Have you lived in right relationship with God? Your whole life. Have you lived in right relationship with him? Loving him, following him, loving your coworkers, your family members like you should. Not perfectly. 
I know that. I know it. I'm not a mind reader. I just know it. Your conscience tells you that you haven't. You know what your conscience is? Your conscience is that part of you. It's part of you, but it also watches you and judges you. You know what a conscience is. You know this is right, this is wrong, and I just did wrong. It's that little voice. Now, our consciences can get messed up, and they do. But all of us know. You don't even have to read this book. I'm not talking about people who read this book and know they've disobeyed specific commands here. You know in your own conscience, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, that you've done wrong against God. We do terrible things. We think terrible things. We do hurtful things. We ignore God. We disobey our own conscience, which God gives to us. And when we do that, doing wrong is called sin. Sin is disobedience to God, and all of us are guilty of it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. Here's what happens. Isaiah 59.2 tells us what happens. Our sin has created a separation between us and our God. So this is unspeakable loss. Remember at the beginning, we're saying God is unbounded life and joy and everything we need. And you and me are separated from it. We're separated, which means every person on planet Earth is separated from the only thing that will give them lasting peace and joy. There's no other way for lasting peace and joy than being connected to this unbounded, overflowing life of God. And we don't have it because of our sin. That is unspeakable loss. To see where we have fallen from is a tragedy. Now, not only are we separated from the life of God, we have the sentence of death hanging over us. And I mean by sentence, like when you go to court and the judge hands down the sentence, death. That's what hangs over all of our lives. That judgment's been pronounced. Why is that? Well, God is good. And to be good means that you do right all the time. And God is. He's good. He always does what is right. Well, what's right for God to do when wrong is done in his creation? Justice. You know what justice is? It's when you reward the good and you punish the bad. That's what's right for God to do. As king over creation, it's right. When wrong happens in creation, it's the good thing for him to do. To give justice. He's a God of justice. Justice is right. It's good. Now, what's the right punishment? What's the right justice for sinning against a holy God? Death. The wages, that means the earnings, what it really deserves. God's not just being mean. What it really deserves is death. That's Romans 6.23. Now, I'm guessing for everybody except the very youngest people in this room, death has touched your life in some way. It's coming for everyone. This is one of these just radical realities of life that we kind of intoxicate ourselves to not think about. But everybody who has lived 
dies. We die, and it's coming for you. You got to grapple with that. You really do need to deal with that fact. It's one of those existential realities you have to handle. You're going to die unless Jesus comes back before then. Our physical dying is part of the curse that Adam and Eve brought, but there's something worse. There's something far worse than physically dying, than losing your body. Hell. Hell is the place where unforgiven sinners are given justice. Never think of hell as a place where a mean God is being mean. We kind of kind of stand back when we think of hell, a place of everlasting torment. Don't think that God is being capricious. Do you know what that means? He just likes being mean. That's not what's happening in hell. Hell is a place where God does what is right. And justice for sinning against a God whose worthiness has no end, justice for that is punishment that has no end. That's what hell is. God is doing what's right. Now, I want you to personally reckon with this. You can't stay here. No one can stay here and survive. But I do want you to personally reckon with hell. If you wake up one day and you are in hell, you don't get out. It is torment, unbearable torment, forever. And there's no hope. Have any of you ever been sick, like in the middle of the night, or in pain, and you've had the thought, I can't go on like this. I, I cannot do another hour, another day like this. In hell, that's the only option. To go on and on with no hope of it ending. Every moment will be torment with no escape. Here's why I want you to reckon with that personally. Please don't play around with your soul. Please don't play around with the souls of the people in this city or in your family. I mean, sometimes, I've said this before, but preachers, you know, they can sometimes overstate things. Like we got to get people worked up. I'm going to say, this is the most glorious, the greatest, the grandest, the most serious. The stakes can't be higher than this. They can't be higher. I can't imagine anything more important than dealing with heaven and hell your relationship with God. So don't play around with your soul. Please listen to what I'm saying to you today and please give it to anyone who will listen to you. Anyone. Because if you listen, anyone who listens, I mean, this is the promise, you will not only escape the judgment of hell, it'll be wiped away, but you will have the unspeakable joy of God forever. That's the promise for anyone who will listen in this room and out of these doors. So that's answering the question, why do we need good news? That's why we need it. The sentence that hangs over us and what we've lost in our relationship with God. So how can you be saved? This is question number two. 
how can you be saved? Now, what we're doing now is we're talking about the good news. The good news. If you receive this news, you'll be saved. And here's what we're going to say. I realized while I was working on this sermon, I repeat myself a lot. And I'm actually okay with that in this sermon. Because I really want you to get this. I really want you to get this. We are saved. We're going to walk through this in three sections. We are saved by the righteous life of Jesus alone. We're saved by Jesus' righteous life, not ours. That's the first thing we're going to see. And his righteous life is given to us as a gift. So that's the second thing we're going to see. His righteous life is counted to our lives as a gift. And the third thing we'll see is that we receive that gift by faith. So let's talk about the fact that we're saved by the righteousness of Jesus' life for us. So we need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven, right? We've talked about our sin. We've done what's wrong. We need, we need that taken care of. And we need righteousness in order to be saved. So hear that? You, your life needs righteousness if you're going to be saved and stand before God. However, we're saved by the righteousness of Jesus and not our own. We're saved by his good works, his good life, not our good works or our good life. This is one of the great divides between Christianity and every other religion. This is a big deal, what I'm about to say, because every religion says, listen, you know you've done wrong. Just do more good. Just do more good, and God will give you heaven. And if you, if you sin really bad, then give lots of money. Or show up and pray a bunch of times. Do good, and then you'll be rewarded by God in heaven. That's what every religion in the world except this one says. Here's the problem. You can't stand before a perfect God without being perfect morally. That's the issue. I mean, if we think, oh, I know I've sinned against an infinite God, but I'll throw my few durums in the pot and make up for it. You're not really getting how holy God is, are you? Or how serious your sin against his infinite worth is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means we don't have what it takes. That's what that verse is telling us. We fall short. We just don't have what it takes. Nobody does. Well, one person does. Jesus. The Son of God, who is God, became a man, and he was perfect in everything he did. This is why Jesus, it's one of the reasons why Jesus is so central to Christianity. It's why we're called Christians. He's at the center. He's the only one who does what's right perfectly. And here's the thing. He dies. Now, lots of religions are like, whoa, 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 whoa. proof that Christianity can't be true. If he's the perfect man, he shouldn't die. Perfect men don't die. Ah, that's the point. Because he was the perfect man, he could die on that cross and be punished in our place and swallow up 
the punishment that we deserved. And the righteous life he lived, God could look at his righteousness and he could count it to your life. That's what's going on in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness that God counts to us. Okay, listen, I'm going to just go through a few verses. I think three, three passages here. Just to show at the heart of Christianity is someone else's righteous life getting counted for us. And it's Jesus's. So listen to this. This is 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. So the first verse of the book of 2 Peter. Here's how Peter introduces things. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now notice, Jesus is called God there. He's our God and Savior. And whose righteousness in that verse gives us our standing with God? It's his righteousness. That's how Peter starts the letter. We have a standing with God, not through my righteousness, through his righteousness. Okay, listen to Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. This is now Paul writing. And Paul says, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So if you keep the law, you do more good than bad, you're a righteous person. Paul's saying, no, 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 not me. I do not have a righteousness that, of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul's got righteousness. Where does the righteousness come from? It's not his own. It comes from God. That's what Philippians 3 says. It's Jesus' righteousness. I don't have my own, but God has given me his. Wow. One more. This is Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we're not saved by works that we have done. If you read the New Testament, Paul says this over and over and over again, just like I'm saying it over and over and over again, because it's so central. It's at the center of what we believe about how you can be made right with God. Not our own works, but the works that Jesus has done save us. Think about Jesus' righteousness like a robe, okay? Like a robe. If you're going to get into God's presence, you have to be dressed in perfect righteousness. But only Jesus lived a perfect life. So he has the robe of perfect goodness and perfect righteousness. But on the cross, when he's punished for our sins, guess what Jesus does? He takes the robe off 
so that we can put it on. So that you and I can walk into the presence of God clothed with righteousness. Whose robe is it? It's not my own. It's his. Jesus is righteous and we get to put it on so that we can come into the presence of God. You get that? It's his righteousness alone that saves us. Now here's step two. His righteousness is given to us as a free gift. Because you might think, okay, I need the righteous life of Jesus. I need his righteousness like a robe to put on if I'm going to get into God's presence. So what righteous thing do I need to do in order to earn that robe? You see the problem with that? If you're trying to figure out what good works you can do to earn Jesus' good works in order to get into heaven, you're not relying on Jesus' good works, are you? You're relying on yourself. You don't pay Jesus for his righteousness. His righteousness is given to us as a free gift. Now we're going to look at a couple of texts. And these texts will make very clear that salvation is completely God's gift to us. Okay, so, and these are the texts we read at the beginning. Salvation is a gift. So Romans 3, 21 through 25. The righteousness of God has been manifested, shown apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that means declared to be righteous. We are declared to be righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice that's killed in your place so that you're not killed. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You are saved as a gift. You don't pay for gifts, do you? Have you ever tried, someone gives you a gift and you're like, oh, please, let me, it's a little insulting, isn't it? You don't pay someone for a gift. That's the whole point, is that it's free. Now, is it completely free? Are gifts free to everyone involved? No. Someone paid for it. They paid for it. It's free for you. That's the point that Paul is making here. It's totally free for us. Salvation's completely free. You don't pay a dime. That's an American currency. You don't pay a fill in order to receive salvation. It's free to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Can he be any clearer? Yes, he can. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We're not going to get to heaven and brag about how much good we did to get in. Because you don't get in by how much good you did. 
You get in because you're wearing the goodness of someone else, Jesus Christ, and it was given to you as a gift. You are not saved because you paid for it. Jesus paid for it, and it was costly. It was costly to him. He suffered the wrath of God on that cross. That's what he's doing. He's paying the price, and the price was infinite. He had the worth to pay it, but it was costly to him so that it could be free to you. It's a gift. But you don't get the free gift of Jesus' righteousness simply by being a human. So he paid, he paid for our sins on the cross. He's righteous to save us. But it's not automatically given to all people. Everybody's counted righteous. That's not how it works. It's given to you. The gift is given to you. You receive it by believing. Okay, we saw that a bunch in our passages. By believing. But that's all. If you simply believe this gift of Jesus' righteousness is yours by faith alone. So let me just point that out again in the passages we just read. Romans 3, 22. The righteousness of God. How do I get that to put it on? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. But it's yours by faith. That's how you get it. You don't have to do some amazing, great feat to show off how great and worthy you are to God. That's the point. You're not. He is. You can receive his gift simply by believing. And it's yours so consider Jesus right now. Just consider him in your seat. Think about how righteous and good he was, how perfect his life was. He has the righteousness of God, and he came to live in your place and die in your place because he loves you. Isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't his father amazing? Who is like our God? There is no God like our God who would do for us what we could not do and give it as a gift. If you receive that gift right now in your heart, it's yours. I mean, that's how free this gift is. You don't have to go somewhere. It can happen now simply by believing. And if it's yours, Ephesians 2, 7 says, that was, that was it's a verse before what we just read in Ephesians 2, 8. If you believe, not only are your sins forgiven, but God is going to pour out on you forever and ever and ever the immeasurable riches of his grace. You will have him forever, and he will be kind to you forever, world without end. That's the gospel. 
That's the good news that saves. It's the only news that saves. But if you believe it, if you receive this free gift of Jesus' righteousness, it's yours, and you'll live with him forever. Now, with the remainder of our time, I want to talk about a few wrong beliefs, common wrong beliefs about how we can be saved, because I don't want you leaving this room thinking you're saved only. I want you to leave this room saved. So, here are a few wrong beliefs, six, about how we can be saved. Now, just to be clear, when I state these wrong beliefs one at a time, they're wrong. So I would hate for someone who's journaling to be like, he says we can be saved by good works. But these are wrong beliefs that I'm stating. And I want you to, I want you to think about yourself and think, okay, do I believe these? Because I want you to know the truth. So here's wrong belief number one. If I do more good than bad, I'll be saved. If I do more good than bad, I'll be saved. And you might be thinking, John, why are you saying this? You just told us 20 times that it is the goodness of Jesus alone that saves us and not our own goodness. My hope is that in time number 21, it might click for some of you. Every time, so I've been here for four years at this church, and we'll regularly preach on the gospel, just the good news. And every time so far, I've preached the gospel, the good news, just to be clear, what is the central message we believe? I'll ask someone afterwards, hey, if you, if you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you in? Invariably, every time, someone says, well, I'm, I do more good than bad, so God will let me in. I mean, I'm talking 45 minutes after preaching. I'm thinking. And why is that? I don't think it's because they were sleeping during the sermon. I think it's because we are so wired to think, no, 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 I've got to do it. I've got to do something to get in. When you hear someone say, no, 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 you don't. Jesus does it for you. It just doesn't click. So I want you to hear it. This is not how you get in by doing more good than bad. Only Jesus is good enough for us to be saved. All right, here's wrong belief number two. This is a wrong belief. My parents are Christians, so I'm a Christian, which means I'm saved. This is common. Lots of people think this. My parents are Christians? That means I'm one. As though Christianity passes through genetics. It doesn't. Kids, I'll ask you a question. If your parents eat dinner, will you be full? If your parents are breathing, can you hold your breath forever? No. We know the answer to that one. Your parents' faith doesn't save you. Your family name does not make you holy. You must believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You yourself. And I'm still talking to kids. You yourself. And grown-up kids. 
You yourself must believe in order to receive this gift. Here's wrong belief number three. It says, wrong. I go to church, therefore I am saved. Some of you may have heard this saying before. Going to church makes you no more a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Being in this building doesn't make you a Christian. There's nothing magical about this building. Coming to our services, singing with us, praying with us, it doesn't make you saved. Giving money. I mean, a lot of people think, well, I, I tithe. I give money. God's going to let me in. Or I was baptized. They put water on me. Or I come up and take the Lord's Supper every week, therefore I'm saved. That doesn't save you. I mean, what a shame. This is, this is a real shame because it happens all the time. People go to church their whole lives and they don't trust Jesus' righteousness alone for themselves. Oh, please don't let that be you. Look to Jesus alone and he will save you. Here's wrong belief number four. This is wrong. If I'm sincere in my beliefs, whatever they are, I'll be saved. So if I really mean it, even if it's wrong, I'll be saved. Have you ever heard this before? Have you ever thought it? You think, well, you know, if a Muslim really believes it, if he really means it, he'll be saved. Or Hindu, she really believes this, so she'll be saved. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. He also says in John 3, he who believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Removing someone's heart in surgery because they have appendicitis and you sincerely think you're removing their appendix will kill them and will probably get you fired or worse. Taking rat poison in the morning because you sincerely believe it's your morning vitamin will kill you won't it? It will. We, we have a funny notion, though, don't we? That if we're sincere, even in not believing the truth, that God will save us. But sincere faith in a lie cannot save you. Sincerely believing the rat poison's a vitamin won't make it a vitamin. God has revealed the way to be saved. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, 12. So, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, care about knowing the truth yourself. Care, because it matters. Here's wrong belief number five. I'm better than other people. So I'll go to heaven. 
or I'm not as bad as some people, so I'll go to heaven. God is not comparing you with other people to figure out if you go to heaven. God is comparing you with his own moral perfection. We don't stack up quite as well, do we? We all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. He has the moral perfection of God that we can put on. When the judgment comes, he takes our place. Here's wrong belief number six, the last one. If I have a holy man or a holy woman covering me, I'll be saved. Now, this might be foreign to some of you, but for many of you, this is common practice in your culture. You pay a holy man or a holy woman to pray for you. They provide a spiritual covering for your life. There's only one person who can provide a spiritual covering for your life. There is one mediator. I mean, stand between. Between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5. So just like we said, your parents' faith doesn't save you. No one else's faith can save you either. Only Jesus can stand in your place. Only Jesus. And, and something similar would be, we, we sometimes feel comfortable because we're friends with a pastor or we have really godly friends and we think, well, because I'm associated with them, I'm going to be saved. Association with saved people doesn't save. Association with the Savior does. So trust him. Are, are any of these ways, ways you've thought you could be saved? Just test yourself. You don't have to raise your hand. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know the relief of the truth, the joy and the life to know, to know I'm saved. My sins are gone. I've got the righteousness of Jesus like a robe. Have you ever thought, I do more good than bad, so I'll be saved? Or my parents are Christians, that means I am too, so I'll be saved. Or I go to church, so I'm saved. I'm sincere. I might be wrong, but at least I'm sincere, so I'm saved. I'm better than other people, so I'll go to heaven. Or I'm saved because some holy man or woman is covering me. You cannot be saved any of those ways. Oh, please, please, please don't leave this room not knowing the truth. You can be saved right now. The gift of salvation is that free. That's it. Jesus wants it to be so free that it can happen in your seat. Like, wait a second. This is real. This is true. You're saved. That's it. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to you as a gift by faith. So receive it. Everyone, here's, here's just a promise. I want to give you two promises. So you go, okay, how do I know? How do I know I'll be saved? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Promise. That's Acts 2.21 if you want to keep it. And from John earlier this year, this is Jesus talking now. John 6.37. I love the security of this verse. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. 
If you come to Jesus, you just believe. You see he's beautiful and righteous and righteous in your place. He will never cast you out. That's security right there. That's something we can live on. This is the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. We don't have righteousness of our own, God. But that which comes through faith in Jesus. There is no other place we can go to get the righteousness of God, the righteousness that you require. There's no place we can go. And we all know it. We fall short. All our good works, all our religious activity can never make our way back to you. We can never pay off an infinite debt. But you can. And because you so loved us, you sent your son to pay it all. And Jesus, you were victorious. Where Adam and Eve have failed, where everyone in this room has failed, you did not fail. Thank you. Thank you for enduring a life among us so that you could take our place, take our punishment, and give us all that you deserve. We love you, God. Who is a God like our God? We bless you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.